you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Well, thank you, Brother Warren. That was one of many stories that we could tell. My Lord, we've got so many, I'm telling you. Well, it's good to be back home this morning. I tell you what, it feels like coming home. It's so good to see many of you that I have known for so many years. God, some of you I've never seen before. I'm looking forward to seeing you and getting to know who you are and a little bit more about you when this, when this day is over. Uh, I'm excited to be here this morning. I, we're still doing missions. As a matter of fact, uh, last week, Barbara and I were up in this, I guess you might call it a God-forsaken uh, place, uh, Chatteroy, West Virginia. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Chatteroy, West Virginia or not. I love West Virginia. My folks hail from Buchanan County, Virginia, just across Bradshaw Mountain from where we were, <coughs> not too far from Logan, uh, Williamson, if you know anything about West Virginia. Uh, but uh, still doing missions and still preaching and uh, getting ready to do some more. And so we do that. That's what we do. We go wherever the Lord tells us to go and whatever he tells us to do. I saw a neat, uh, and there's so many things I could say. Gosh, we've got so many members with this family and with Josh and, and Heather and the boys and my goodness over the years. And, uh, <laughs> and Amy, we talked about her wedding a while ago, and we have so many history. Burke County's just been a, and still is, a tremendous part of our life and the experiences that we've had. And we probably have more friends here than we do anywhere else in the world, and so it's just always good to get to come back to Burke County. I appreciate the opportunity. When Warren, uh, when Warren and I were talking, he asked me if I could come this morning. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to, be honored to come and, and share a, a message from the Lord, and I have a message for you this morning. God just gave me the, as a matter of fact, he gave it to me before, before Warren even called me, and I didn't know where I was going to preach it, but I started writing it down. Long story short, I get into it, so I don't want to chase rabbits. Now, you'll notice old men have a tendency to chase rabbits. I'm an old man, so uh, expect me to chase rabbits, and that's why this little lady right here, my wife, Barbara, those of you that haven't met her, this is my first wife, 57 years ago, I married her, and uh, we've still, she's still stuck in with me, so uh, it's been a good, uh, well, she says, I say we've been married 57 years, she says we've been married 29 wonderful years, 57 altogether, so uh, <coughs> it's a different, uh, just perspective, you know what I'm saying? We were coming out of Charlotte this morning. She was sitting over on the right side navigating, and I was driving. I happened to look up at a billboard. Y'all know where the park and go is uh, the, uh, and the long-term parking at the Charlotte Airport. We're coming out of the wonderful murder capital of North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina this morning. 65 so far we've killed down there this year so far. That's the truth. Every day there's a shoot. Every day there's a shooting, and just about every third day there's a killing. Uh, so uh, it's just a real place to minister. Just blesses your heart, you know. It's just so totally comfortable to let your wife go to town by herself. Not anymore. But anyhow, uh, I saw I saw a verse of scripture, and it, and it said the uh, he said talk about really long term parking. And it's right at the airport exit, and it had uh, John three thirty six. And here it is. And now this is a huge billboard. I mean, a full forty foot billboard. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The ultimate long-term parking. And I thought, man, that is so appropriate for, for our message this morning. The ultimate long-term parking, which is not the title of the message, but anyhow, it goes along with the theme of what we're going to be talking about today. 
So many things I could say and jabber about, but let's get into the Word of God. That's where the meat is, and that's what God sent me up here to do, was to share with you folks a word from Him. So if you have your Bibles, whether it's on your tablet or your pad, in our church, it, we just, uh, we just uh, a month ago, I guess it was, wasn't it, honey, <coughs> resigned Clear Creek Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the northeast uh, corner of the Belt Line, if you know where that is. If you look on the map and you see the belt line of Charlotte, it's up on the northeast corner. So we just left. We just resigned there about three months ago or about a month ago. And, and we've, been, uh, we've been back there one Sunday since then. And they're having homecoming today. And some of them couldn't believe that we weren't going to be there for homecoming. And I said, well, you got somebody else preaching. I'm called to preach. So if I have a place to preach, I'm going to go preach, right? Amen. So that's a good thing, right? Uh, the, the title of our message this morning is, uh, and there's a hundred things going through my mind that, I, that I'd like to share, but I won't. Let's get to the thing that really matters, and that's the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in the book of Genesis. We're going to wind up ultimately and hopefully in 15 or 20 minutes in, in, the, uh, uh, in the book of Exodus, not too far away. So we're going to be Working in the Old Testament, you say, well, we like to have a New Testament message. This is a New Testament message, but it finds its roots in the Old Testament, as does all of the New Testament. Everybody's going to heaven, right? Wrong. Okay, that's it. And I had three different titles for this message. Universalism versus universalism was one. Another one was uh, the ultimate Passover. So our focus passage is going to be on the Passover, the original Passover, this morning, and I don't know how many of you have been to Israel. Uh, we've been uh, uh, numerous times, and we're planning on going back in February of next year uh, with a group. But uh, it's a, it's a place to go, and, and when you get over there, the scriptures really come alive to you that God has given us to read. And then when I'm reading scriptures, while well, I'm walking in my mind in these places, and I'm seeing these things, and and it really makes it more meaningful for me, at least. And I hope that I can transfer some of that meaning and that excitement to you this morning as we go through this passage of Scripture. We just finished Vacation Bible School this week at Clear Creek Baptist Church. Had a great Bible school. Kids running all over the place, stomping down shrubbery and everything else. Some of the old church fathers get bent out of shape, but I tell them, stomp them down and bring on the kids. You know, we want more kids. That's what we're about. But we were given the Pledge of Allegiance, and, and we started the, the last night, I guess, that we gave the, our pledges which would have been Thursday night. <clears throat> we were standing there, Barbara and I were over in the corner, and our new pastor, our senior pastor, Chris Dale, any of you know Chris Dale? Yeah, Chris Dale's our pastor down there now, and that little fella is just setting the woods on fire. You know how he is. He ain't but about that big. He's, he's actually seven feet tall. If the spring ever breaks, he's going to be seven or eight, nine feet tall, but he just wound tight. And boy, he's just been doing the job, and we've been having the time. We were doing the pledge, to the Christian flag. Y'all of, do all of you remember it from Vacation Bible School? I, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for His kingdom it stands. One brotherhood uniting all mankind is the way I learned it. Now, when I was a kid going to Vacation Bible School, when Noel was our Vacation Bible School leader and I was a kid going to Vacation Bible School, why, that's how we learned it, uniting all mankind. But then, about 10 or 15 years ago, Somewhere along in there, they changed it to uniting all Christians in service and love, which is more accurate because it doesn't unite all of mankind. We are not all a common brotherhood. We're all human beings. We're all of 
the Homo sapiens species, but we're not all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not all going to live together forever somewhere in some glorious utopian place that God has prepared for all of his creation. No, it's not going to happen. He's prepared two places. One of them is a place of eternal torment and suffering and, and punishment. The other one is a place of ultimate praise and glory and excitement and fulfillment and everything that you could possibly imagine. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, the first word that he uses to describe it is paradise. And paradise literally means the absence of anything that's unpleasant. So everything that you could possibly want. Three months ago, one of the greatest men of God that I have known, one of the most faithful men of God that I have known, at 51 years of age, died of Lou Gehrig's disease in my arms. My son-in-law. If I didn't know that he was in paradise, I'd have problems with that. But I know that he's happier now than he's ever been. When he was in Mozambique or Liberia or Haiti or Israel or wherever he might have been that Touch the World Ministry sent him, that boy is happier now and he's more fulfilled than he's ever been in his life. Now, my, our daughter and our granddaughters, they're not happy. And one of them struggling with God, you know, but God understands, you know, thank God that God's patient and he's loving and kind and gracious. But there's a place beyond all description for happiness and joy and peace. And I'm going to be contrasting those two places this morning. I'm going to be talking about the entrance into those two places. And I'm going to be talking about the pivotal point in time and history and in your life when that decision is going to be made. So that's, that's going to be the focus of our message this morning. The curse of universal salvation teaching that's abroad today. There is that teaching abroad today <clears throat> that everybody's going to go to heaven. That if you believe, whatever you believe, if you're really sincere and true in your belief and, and earnest, that you're going to be all right, you know. And if you're good to people and if you pay your tithes and if you go to church, even if you don't pay your tithes, you go to church. If you do your, if you read your Holy Quran, if you bow five times a day before Dahl and if you beat yourself with chains and if you go out and witness and do your two years as a Jehovah Witness disciple and do all, like you're going, no, no, I ain't got a thing in the world to do with going to heaven. I'm a member of Baptist church, you know, and I've been baptized. Now, I'm a member of Catholic church, and I've been confirmed. We were witnessing to a young man, uh, Barbara. We had a therapist in our home this week that brought a machine that she has to use now once a day for the rest of her life, but it keeps her here, so I'm glad, I'm glad of that, amen. She, she may have wanted to go into heaven, but anyhow, she's here with me, thank God. And so he was in there, and she was witnessing to him. So his answer was this, I'm a Catholic. I've been raised a Catholic. To which I responded as he was working on my wife's leg. <clears throat> to which I responded, that's the only thing in the world to do if you're going to heaven. Jesus said if you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. You know, there's a, there's a process that takes place. It's not something you do. And you're going you're gonna to see in early on, as a matter of fact, if I ever get to the Scripture, you're going to see man's first efforts at trying to earn God's favor and salvation. It's amazing how, it's amazing how self-sufficient we think we are. And we're so full of it, you know. We're not really, not any of us, not myself, not you, not anyone. However, <clears throat> something else I'd like to talk about, but I don't have time. We'll do that <clears throat> some other time. You can come down to the house and we'll talk. Uh, we've got plenty of coffee and soft drinks and everything like that. Barbara keeps the pantry stocked well. Now, there is, there, is one, there is one thing that is true of all mankind. And I want you to take your Bibles. You have them now, and you are at the book of Genesis. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> and I want to show you one verse of Scripture, and you'll have to <clears throat> pardon my throat <clears> throat> this morning. I don't know what 
as we're going on. I do. It may be the devil or it may be that uh, spiced up drink that my wife gave me. I don't know if she puts in that somehow white out of a bottle, out of a pint bottle. <clears throat> but anyhow, are you to 17 yet of chapter 2? All right, 17. But the tree of the... Now, you know the background of this, right? This is the Genesis story. Does everybody know the Genesis story? I usually, I've made the mistake so many of going to church and, and I'll be preaching and I'll say, y'all understand this, uh, you know, you know the story out of the Bible. You know, it's amazing that the people that don't know the stories out of the Bible. So I don't always assume now that everybody knows all the stories in the Bible, I don't assume that everybody used a, a Gideon New Testament for a teething tool. That's when I was a kid, that's what they gave us for a teething tool was a Gideon New Testament. We chewed on and we learned to chew our teeth on the Gideon New Testament. But anyhow, I raised the Bible, memorized scripture. I could memorize, I had scripture memorized before I was able to talk good. I got water, but this would probably be better. Thank you, Warren. <clears throat> and I learned my first word, my first scripture. Now, that was because I was good and holy, you know. It's because my grandma and mom and dad beat the devil out of me if I hadn't. I mean, that's what we did. We learned the Bible when I was a kid. And we sat on Sunday afternoon, we listened to sermons over the radio, and I just hated to listen to them. I got so confounded, aggravated. And Grandma would go to Grandma's house, she'd have some old hillbilly preacher on. Now I'm a hillbilly preacher, and she'd have some preacher on. And if you stayed in Grandma's house, you listened to preaching all Sunday afternoon. Chew the back and spit in the can, but you listened to preaching all Sunday afternoon. Okay? So there we were. <clears throat> Let me get it right. Thank you, Warren. Now this is recycled because it's, oh, you, you broke the seal on it. Okay? All right. It always worries me when somebody hands me a bottle of water and I go to open it and it's already open. <clears throat> All right. We're, oh, I could. How could I reach out there? We have too much fun. You know, you know Christians are supposed to have fun, right? Because we're the happiest, most blessed people in the world, even though we're going through hell right now. You know this is all the hell you'll ever have to endure, right? When you get out of here, it's all glory from here on. So if you're having a tough time, just get over it because people in the hell are having a lot worse time tonight than you are. This morning, I mean. All right, here we go. Where was I? Oh, yeah. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God's created everything. He's made it perfect. He made the perfect woman, the perfect man. He put them in the perfect place. They have a perfect God there. I mean, everything's perfect, right? Everything's perfect. So, and then he says, is he giving them instructions? Now, he gives us the creation in Genesis chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he gives us what is called the, the, uh, the generations of the creation or, or the different phases of the creations that comes along. And he gives us a little more insight. And then he talks to the uh, Adam and Eve, and he tells him in verse 17, he said, Now, but of the tree, everything in the garden, verse 16, is great for you to eat. Everything in the garden is good for you to eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for uh, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, here's the, here's the possibility. Here's the possibility of a universal something or other for everybody. And it's the possibility of death, but at the same time, in, encapsulated in this particular passage of Scripture is a possibility of eternal life for everybody. But here's the possibility that's introduced to us in verse 17 of chapter 2 of the possibility of something that's going to be universal for everybody. Now, I want to show you the problem in chapter 3. So, let, turn over one page or flip your screen, one screen over, and we're chapter 3, verse 1. Now, here we go, and I'm going to try to get through, I'm trying to try to get the introduction finished in 30 or 40 minutes so I can get to the message the last 30 or 40. <clears throat> so we'll be all right. Now the serpent, here's the deal. Here's the, here is the, here is the, uh, the, 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 the problem. I want you to listen close to me. I may not get to the message today, but if I don't, I want you to get this. 
Here it is. Listen to me. Look at me a minute. Don't, don't read ahead of me. You're cheating. Now, uh, if, if, if somebody comes up to you and says to you, I have some good liquor. I want you to take a swig of good stuff. Oh, I don't drink. Well, I just want you to taste it. You don't debate or young lady or young man, somebody comes up to you and they tempt you with something immoral uh, then, and you start to debate with them. Well, I don't think that's right. Don't debate with evil. Leave it alone. Don't debate. If some fool comes up to you and tries to lead you astray, don't debate with them. They are idiots. They are smarter than you are in the ways of the world, and they will influence you negatively. Let me show you what I mean. Now, the serpent was more subtle or keen or crafty or wily or sly than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, <coughs> Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. <coughs> Here's your word. She should have kept her mouth shut. But she didn't. If she had not answered evil, if she had not begun the debate with Satan, she would have never heard verse 4. If she had just turned around and walked off and said, you're old sneaky snake, I have nothing to do with you, and just left, then, then she would have never heard, she would have never entered into that debate. And let me tell you, I'm talking about when false doctrines come to your door and knock on the door and try, don't debate with them. Because they will influence you. I don't care how strong you are. They will influence you negatively and they will plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Don't debate with evil. Leave it alone. Get away from it. Just turn and run. So she began to debate. Fast forward to verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Wow, Adam, this, this tree's good for food. In other words, it tastes good. This this evil thing that I'm being tempted with, it tastes good. It's good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. So here Satan has presented something to her that tastes good, it looks good, and it has benefits. What could be wrong with that? I mean, you can go on to church and do your church thing, but my Lord, here, this is good. It tastes good. It looks good. It feels good. I mean, let's just have a little bit, and you can go on and do your church thing. Nothing wrong with that. So here the problem came. The eyes of them both were open, verse 7. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. Remember I told you a while ago that I was going to show you how man tries to fix everything? Here's the beginning of work salvation. Look at that. They didn't go down to the store. They didn't go to the Lord and repent. They tried to fix it themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves an apron, a covering. The beginning of work salvation. Do you see something already? You can't work your way into the presence and the power and the, and the, and the eternal life that God has for you. You, it, you can't do it. They started it in the Garden of Eden. It didn't work. God had to come. Oh, my goodness gracious. So they performed that thing that made death. And then death happened in two phases when they did that. Spiritual separation from God immediately. The, God said, the day that you do that, in that day you will die. At that time, their body began to die. In the very, in, in just in two chapters over, just shortly thereafter, <coughs> no, by golly, 
in the very next chapter, wasn't it the very next chapter? Their son, they had two sons. Yeah, they had two sons in the very next chapter. The very next chapter in the Bible, <coughs> after they ate that fruit, <coughs> one of their boys killed the other one. Boy, that was sure tasty apple or whatever it was, wasn't it? That's really worth it, wasn't Adam and Eve? You done lost one of your sons. Your two sons fighting, one of them's dead now and in the grave. Wow. And then Adam began to die. Adam himself began to die. Eve began to die. And 929 years later, in chapter 5, verse 5, he died. Yeah. Well, that fruit was really worth it. And today we're still reaping the consequences of what he did because you realize when we go to the rest of the stories, Paul Harvey would say in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we have a huge problem. Here's the problem. We are, there is universal condemnation. Everybody in the world is condemned to die. David Cooper, y'all remember, some of you guys know David Cooper, one of our boys, one of our local boys. Pastor in the church up in Todd, North Carolina, doing great work, still running Touch the World Ministries, taking care of missions and ministries in 16, 17, a whole bunch of different countries over the world. Great man of God, doing a tremendous job. He says, and I've done many funerals with him, and in every funeral he says, he looks around, as he starts his service, he'll look around the congregation, he'll say, I want you to know that everybody in here is terminal. Everyone in here is terminal. State of North Carolina, I think we have 141, two or three people on death row. Look here, however many people's in here, you're everyone on death row. We're all terminal because of what Adam and Eve did. We're all dying. You don't think you're dying? Get a picture of yourself out from 20 years ago and look now. I'm scared to look at them, you know. I, I love to look at pictures of Barbara 20, 30 years ago. I have pictures of her today, you know, but I'm telling you, we get old, right? And we're dying. We're everyone condemned to die because of what Adam and Eve. So we have a huge problem. There's universal condemnation. Everybody is sentenced to death. <laughs> I was reading this week about James Bedford. Y'all, anybody know James, James Bedford? Chrononically, he was frozen. He was the first man to be frozen. And I wrote the date down, January the 12th, 1967. He was frozen with the hopes that there was enough of his brain cells that would stay active that whenever they figure out how to cure the cancer that he had, which was a... Uh, some cancer that had metastasized in all of his body, that they could thaw him and bring him back to life. You know what his death certificate says? Dead. You know what the Bible says? Absent from the body, presence of the Lord. In hell he lift up his eyes. If he was saved, he's in the presence of the Lord. If he was lost, he's in hell he lift up his eyes. I don't care what they do 500 years from now or 100 years from now or next year. When they got him out to thaw, one of the times they got him out, they, did, they can't thaw him. But one of the times they got him out to check his condition, they noticed that there was beginning to be some deterioration, really. I mean, that's what dead things do. I don't care if they are 400 degrees below zero. They still deteriorate, you know. Dead things de deteriorate. Why? Because that's the curse that came on us in the Garden of Eden. Wow. 17 other people have been frozen, too. It's got to be a cold existence. Man, I'd hate to do that. But there's a solution, right? Let me give you the solution, guys, real quick. Elective salvation. Salvation is for anybody that wants it, right? Elective salvation. We have a big debate in theological circles now between Armenianism and, and uh, uh, oh, premillennial. Uh, help me, Josh. Uh, the Presbyterians. Predestination, thank you. Uh, Calvinism. So the, the big debates between the two, you know. And there's a real strong school of thought that says that we're predestined. There are certain ones that are predestined, and they're going to be saved whether they want to be or not. 
Well, it goes contrary to everything that's in the Bible. It's free will. God gives you free will. You choose to be saved if you want to be saved. If you don't want to be saved, you die and go to hell. That's where you're going. I mean, it's that simple, guys. God gives us a choice. So there's a big debate that goes on here today about that, which one's where it's. There is an elective, all right. It is an elective, but salvation is an elective, but you're the one that elects it. God's, look, what is God's plan? First Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men can't count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that a single one of us should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. That's what his desire is. That's God's will. Here's man's prerogative. Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, what do you have to do? You have to call upon the name of the Lord. That's man's prerogative. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, you have to speak, you have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. You see, it's a, you see, it's a prerogative for man that man has to act on. Says so that scripture? Yeah, that's scripture. It's way back in the Old Testament. I'll show you in a minute. So man, God's will is it not anyone perish? Man's prerogative is that he can confess, he can believe in his heart, and God then God will save him. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So here's the heart of the message. I want to show you something that God showed me this week that just got my motor to running. My wife, she'll come in the office sometime in the study, and she'll say, what in the world is going on in here, boy? What's wrong with you? I want to show you something. And I want you to take your Bibles, your, your, your copy of the Word of God, and I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. And I want to walk you through a passage of Scripture that's going to bless your heart. And you might want to make notes. I don't know if you're a note maker or not. <clears throat> but you might want to make some notes on this. I want to I'll listen to this. I want to show you, I want to show you the perfect plan of salvation in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. The perfect plan. It's a picture. I tell my wife, I preached it to her coming up the road. I looked over and she was asleep, just like some of you are about to go. But she just, I, I told her, I, I went through this thing, it's coming up the road. I said, man, this is an awesome passage of Scripture. I mean, everything about salvation is in this passage. It's in the Old Testament, you know. You know, but man, I'm telling you, it's good. So, or if you're ready, we're at Exodus chapter 12. Let's just walk through that. Here's the heart of the message. And the Lord spake unto my... Now, I'm not going to give you the background because I'm out of time, right? I'm not going to give you the background. You know that God sent nine plagues, flies, darkness, uh, frogs, blood, bloody water, everything. You know, God sent hail, uh, fly, uh, gnats, and, uh, you know. God sent all of it, and they're getting ready to leave out of Egypt now, okay? They're getting ready to leave out of Egypt. Listen to me. Egypt's the type of the world. Some of you in here this morning may be lost as a skunk and going to hell and don't even know it. But maybe God will take this passage of Scripture out of the Old Testament and will speak to your heart and you will learn that and you'll accept Him as your Savior this morning. If not, you'll go tell somebody. If everybody in here is saved, go tell somebody at lunch what the preacher told you out of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Okay? Now, <clears throat> that, that, as we make a spiritual application of all this and we transfer it into the New Testament, into our, into our language and into the plan of salvation that we have to deal with. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. While they were still lost, if you'll, if you'll make a spiritual application to this, it's why you're still lost. When I was 11 years old in a revival meeting, God's Holy Spirit spoke to me in the land of Egypt 
and told me that I needed to go to the altar and be saved. I went down as an 11-year-old sinner, bowed on my knees, prayed and asked God to save me, and I come up as a saved 11-year-old boy, and I've been saved ever since. Amen, praise the Lord. Wasn't drunk, wasn't chasing women, wasn't old enough, probably would have been if I had been old enough. But anyhow, I wasn't, and I didn't. I know the worst thing I did is smoke cigarettes and that people throw down when they went in to preach. Me and my buddy would sit outside and smoke what they throw down. You don't understand that, but if you'd, you know, if you're raised in my age, you would have understood it up going up in the mountains. We we more shoes sometimes at church. But anyhow, we had a, we had a, and I got saved, man, I'm telling you. God spoke to me in the land of Egypt, right? So here's the deal. Boy, if I could take you back to that place now, <clears throat> to that old dusty, dry desert place and, and hear God speaking to Moses and Moses then speaking to the people and, and hear the Lord says to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be unto you. Now, now, first thing if you're making notes is that God speaks to you while you're lost in the land of Egypt, right? The second thing is found in verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, he's telling that to Moses and the children of Israel as they're getting ready to leave the land of Egypt, right? And so he's telling them, this is going to be the beginning of the month. When I got saved, I began to live an eternal life that will never end. That was the first day of my life. That was the first month of my years from there on because at that point, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and there was a being came into existence, me, spiritually, that had never been in existence before, a child of God that would never die would live forever with him in paradise. So this should be a beginning, born from, the, from that day, born from dying to eternal living on that day. That's the beginning of months. So that's the beginning of your life when you accept Christ as your Savior. God convicts you of your sins when you're lost in the land of Egypt. When you get saved, that's the beginning of your, of your journey or your walk with him. Verse 3. Next thing we'll find in verse 3. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying... In the tenth day of this month, ye shall take to them every man. Now, look in my Bible. I've got every man a lamb underlined. According to the house of their fathers and a lamb for a house. Here's the picture. My daddy, I witnessed to people. We witnessed to people all the time. Sometimes they receive it. Sometimes they pray it. Last guy won to the Lord. I went over to Home Depot to pick up some mulch for Barbara's Prayer Garden. The boy that was loading it asked him if he was lost. He said he was lost. I explained to him the plan of salvation. He prayed there as we loaded mulch and asked Jesus into his heart. You can win somebody to the Lord anywhere you want to go. So every man, it's every man. And it doesn't matter. I have people tell me, you know, my daddy was a preacher. I don't care. You know, I, that's great. Praise God. I hope he won thousands of people to the Lord. But what does that have to do with your salvation? Well, I was raised in a Christian. It got nothing to do with your salvation. You see, it says every man, every single one of you in here this morning or everybody you'll encounter has to make that decision themselves to accept or reject Jesus Christ. Every man a lamb. A lamb speaks of Christ, right? So it's an individual thing that you and I have to do. And if the household be too little, now let's go to the next verse. So it's an individual thing. First of all, God speaks to us when we're lost in that lost condition. If we get saved, that's the beginning of our eternal life. It's up to every person individually to do that. My dad's a preacher. Both my brothers were preachers. One of them's already in heaven. I've got 10 or 12 cousins that are preachers. Nothing to do with my salvation, man. I had to do it myself at 11 years of age at Elk Valley Baptist Church in Banner Elk, North Carolina. Now, if the family, verse 4, back to your scriptures, and if the, and if the household be too little for a lamb... Let him and his neighbor next in the house take it 
according to the number of souls. Here we go. Here's the next thing. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. What he was telling them literally was, you get that lamb, you bring it in, it's a Passover. We're going to start the Passover practice. They still do it in Israel. We've been over there at Passover time many times. But, uh, but everybody has to do it. And, and everybody, everybody has to have, but listen, the lamb is sufficient. In other words, you get the lamb is just right. Listen to me. What that's saying here is we transfer it to us today is that Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything. I don't need anything else. So you see, that, that the lamb is all you need. A lamb that's sufficient, make your count for the lamb. So every, in other words, all that's needed is a lamb. There's to be nothing left over. Why? Because Christ is everything. And when you get, every, when you get saved, you get everything that Christ has. God will give, him more, give you more of himself if you want. But you get the salvation and everything. But the lamb's sufficient. It doesn't take anything else. The lamb is sufficient. It does it all. It takes care of everything. That's all you need. Enough. Whoever that, there's never too many people. You understand? Everybody in the world can be saved. That just pleases God. That's what he died for. The lamb's sufficient, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, son. Now, here's the deal. All right, the lamb, the Passover, the death angel's getting ready to come through, right? Death angel's getting ready to come through. So, son, you go out and grab a lamb and bring it on in here now. We're going to kill that thing and we're going to do it. No, it has to be a specific lamb. Not just any lamb will do. It has to be a perfect lamb. It has to be without blemish. It has to be a male. It has to be of the first year, and it should be taken out from the sheep or goats. It's not just any lamb. Just any lamb won't do it. There's only one lamb that'll do it, and that's Jesus Christ, the lamb of God that takes away the No other lamb. Write it down, folks. No other lamb will do. No other sacrifice will work. Christ is the only thing that's sufficient for your salvation. That's the lamb. Going on down, verse 6. So Christ is the only one. Christ is the only way. And you should keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And listen to this. The whole, ex- the whole assembly, here's the next thing. And this just reiterates what we've heard already up in verse 3, every man. The whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. No one was exempt. Everybody had to be a participant in it. Do you understand in, in order to... In order to get into God's paradise and the things that he has, in order for these folks to get out of Egypt, everybody had to participate. And by the way, there were some that got in that participated that wasn't even Jews. Can you believe that? What does that say for us today? I've had fellows tell me, oh, I'm too mean to get saved. No, you're not. No, you're not. Jesus can take care of that. Let's skip verses 7 and 8 in the interest of time and get on around here. So Moses gives them the instructions, tells them what they're supposed to do. And he tells him, he says, now, I want you to cook it. I want you to eat it. It has to be roasted. There's some truths in there, but I'm going to leave those lay for the time being. And I want to get down to verse 12. And here's it. And they said, well, let me do verse 11. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, be dressed and ready to go. Talks about preparation. Your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Oh, there's so much we could say about the Passover. But let's just stick to the subject this morning. Now look at verse 12. Here's the deal. God says to Moses, you tell them. Now listen to me. You tell them that I'm going to pass through the land tonight. Death angel's coming through. Okay? Now, the death angel is on his way for every one of us. All of us. Death angel's on his way. You tell them that I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And 
And here is the death sentence. This is going to happen tonight. Not, not many of us know when we're going to die. God told me at the start of the year that Thomas would be in heaven by May the 11th. He went to the Lord May the 6th. Not many people know when they're going to pass. God doesn't reveal that to us. But these people knew that that night the death angel was coming through. The death angel is coming through for you and your family. He's coming through. He's on his way. You don't know when he's going to get here. God hadn't revealed to me when he's going to get here. He may not reveal it to you. It may be sudden. It may be a car accident. We were coming up. We were coming up to Morganton four months ago. How long ago was it? Farball Roberts totaled our car. Who was it? November. We were coming up to Morganton, right? And I was sitting over in the passenger seat. Farball was driving. Farball's my wife, by the way. Would you show a hand there, honey? No. Okay. Farball was driving, okay. Exit 104 right over here at Morganton. She does two 180s in the highway. Totals a Buick. Well, slams it against the guardrail on the inside of the track. Out of the way, I've got to give her credit. Because when the smoke and dust settled, the cars were still. Zip, 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 zip. We, were, we were sitting against the guardrail. She couldn't get out. I told her, serves you right. Now, yeah, you wrecked this. Y'all ought not be able to get out. No, I didn't say that. I said, honey, you all right, you all right. I'm telling you. We could have very well, that could have been our time. The death angel could have been waiting there, but it wasn't. He wasn't, was he, Shug? No, and we got out, and, and God, instead of sending the death angel, God sent uh, Vern, Vince, Vince, what's his last name? Oh, a highway patrolman here. One of our church members over at Verlin Vincent. Yeah. <laughs> instead of the death angel, I looked at the window, and I was Verlin Vincent. I said, oh, Lord, I have died. <laughs> you know. But God is, we don't know, but he's coming. See, the point is, <laughs> the point is he's coming. And they told him, I'm going to pass through the land tonight, and here's the sentence. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt is going to die, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now listen to me. God told Moses, I'm coming through tonight, and everybody that's the firstborn in the family, beast and man, Jew, Hebrew, Gentile, Egyptian, everybody, firstborn's going to die. That's it. And while I'm at it, I'm going to destroy and judge all the other gods of Egypt. What are we going to do? Verse 13. And behold, and the blood, verse 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house of where ye are. The house where you are. You see, they had to kill the lamb. The previous verses tells us. They had to kill the lamb and they had to take the blood and they had to put the blood over the top of the door and on the sides of the door on both sides. And here's the real deal. Here's the literal deal. When the death angel came through that night, the land of Egypt, if the house didn't have blood on it, on the door... And on the side where they were in, the firstborn in that house died. When the death angel came over the stalls, if there wasn't blood over the top and on the sides, the firstborn in there died. The only thing that was, and every other God in Egypt was judged that night. God says, and I will, 
and I will destroy, and, and I pass over and the plague shall be upon you and your family. And where does it say? And I will smite the land of Egypt to destroy you. And the blood shall be upon you, the token of your house where it is, and I see the blood, I will pass over you. And in verse 12, he says, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Here's the deal. God is coming through. Do you know that everybody's going to stand before God? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There is selective salvation, not universal salvation. And it's going to take place when the death angel passes by. And there's going to be a judgment one of these days, and you're going to stand before God. Every one of you are going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. Every person that's ever been born, every member of Adam's race is going to stand before God. I don't care if one of the big things in Charlotte now is the, is the LBGT community, and they're having their rights come hell or high water. You can throw everybody else to the dogs. They don't give a big brat's rump just as long as they get their rights and they get what they want and all that kind of stuff, enforcing their beliefs and their opinions on everybody else, demanding that you agree with them and that you approve them. Let me tell you something. They're going to stand before God one of these days, and God's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And they're going to say, because we believed in what we did, and we championed the cause, and God's going to say, where's the blood? You see, there's nothing that's going to work. Well, I worked hard in the church, and I did all these things, and I did all these mission trips, and I didn't, but where's the blood? And I went to all this, and I gave to the Salvation Army, and I volunteered my time at the hospital, and I lived with the Ten Commandments. Where's the blood? You see, the only thing that saved anybody that night as the death angel went through was the blood on the doorpost. And he said, if it's not on the house where you're in, and do you understand that the house that you're in right now is the body that you're in? And if the death angel comes through, and when you stand before God, you'll still have a body, and you'll be standing in a body before God. And if the blood's not on that body, if the blood of Jesus Christ has not been applied to that body, then when the death angel comes through, your, your judgment is already made, and it's eternal separation and damnation from God. Selective salvation. Today is not the day to separate and judge and decide who, but there is a day coming, and the death angel's on his way. Remember Genesis 1 and 3. It's time. Listen to this. Here's a conclusion. I'm finishing up. I'm done. It's time to depart from the promised land. There's no need to remember. Listen to me now. There's no need to remember the things that you've done or the things that you've not done. It's time to go to the promised land now. God's calling. You know, it's time. It's time. Get your stuff ready. Get it together. It's time to go. It's time to head out of the promised land now. If you choose to stay in Egypt, you're going to die there. That was a problem. If they chose to stay in Egypt, they would have died there. But they, chose, but they could make that choice to leave. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, God says this. I love this promise. Behold, I will send an angel before you that will keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared for you. That promise is to you this morning. Would you bow your heads? I want you to let God's Spirit speak to you. Maybe if you're saved, maybe God will lay somebody on your heart that you can take Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 and share with them sometime this week or today. But I want you to think about this. God says it to you this morning. If you, if you will, I, if, you, if you choose to apply that blood to the doorpost and the house where you live, if you choose to accept the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, God says, Behold, I will send an angel before you that will keep you in the way and that will bring you to the place that I promised. That promise is to you this morning. You see, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, 
when God came in the cool of the evening to see Adam and Eve, to talk with them again, commune like he had been, you remember what he said to them? And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you? You see, sin separated. You may be here this morning and say, but there's sin in your life, and it separated you from God. And God is crying out this morning as he did to Adam in the Garden of Eden, Where art thou? Where are you? God wants to, God wants to commune with you. We were listening to sermons coming up the road and uh, on the radio, and, and this guy said, uh, this lady, this 100-plus-year-old lady, when, she, when he would go to visit her, she'd say, You know, God seems a distance from me, and I'm sure that I'm the one that's moved, not him. You see, if there's a distance between you and God this morning, it's not God that's moved. No, there's something in your life. And this altar is open right now. And I mean, you can come up. It's all right to come in front of people and they don't got their heads bowed anyhow and, and get up here on your knees and just talk to the Lord and get your mess together, man, because the death angel is on his way. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, don't wait for the music to start. Come now. Exodus 12, 13, he says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that during this time of invitation, this music, that your Holy Spirit would move, that he would touch hearts this morning and lives and lives would be changed or we would be convicted and drawn closer to you, repent of our sins and our shortcomings, God, and then be charged up, God, to go and share the good news with those we come in contact with today in Jesus' name.